Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, September 29th, 2022 is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all the things there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and every now and again, what kind of marijuanas you can find in the city, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com, and if you want to help out this show, you can, it's really easy, just visit ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-B as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Trotsky here. We're calling this Florida Storms Thursday, and here's why. Well, it's pretty obvious why. Uh, as I speak, uh, Florida is still uh, getting battered uh, by Hurricane Ian. There's uh, stories in the newspaper about the battering they took yesterday. There's constant updates uh, on the Internet. I was just seeing some horrible uh, footage of people uh, trying to bail out their homes, which is really hard to do when their homes are filled with water. Got one, one footage of a guy swimming uh, uh, in his living room, and... Uh, powers down no heat no light no air conditioning no internet service go on and on and on uh in some cases there's no water uh, even though your house is flooded with water so um really painful uh, images coming out of florida my heart goes out to everybody in florida Ron DeSantis uh, is now pleading for help uh, from the federal government and asking everyone to be compassionate. And I have to pause and think about this for a moment. I hate to go all political on you right now in the middle of this, but uh, it's really hard to avoid politics in the middle of this, particularly when uh, there's a governor of the state of Florida like Ron DeSantis. And compassion is an interesting thing. We're always supposed to feel compassion when people are stressed out, when people are in jeopardy, when their lives are in jeopardy, when they've lost what they own, when they're homeless, when they're down and out, when they have no country anymore. They had to flee their country because of what oppression, violence, unemployment, you name it. Uh, But there's no compassion shown then. Everything is political from the other side. So Ron DeSantis appealing to us for compassion at the very time he's so heartless and cruel. And I I, I struggle with this, ladies and gentlemen, because I do really believe, I believe all those Bible stories that uh, were drilled in my head when I was a little kid, that we should be compassionate. And we should look out for people who are uh, really down. Uh, And we shouldn't take advantage of their plight. And we shouldn't try to turn other people, uh, wait, get other people to uh, give us money or vote for us or uh, enable us to do tax breaks just by exacerbating the feelings, the fears they have about people who look different than them or uh, manipulating the fears they have about crime. I see this going on all the time. Talk about compassion. City of Chicago. We have a lot of crime in Chicago right now. We always have crime in Chicago. I'm watching TV commercials, just blatant attempts to scare people into voting against J.B. Pritzker. And they drag Lori Lightfoot into it. 
there's like footage of some horrible crime on a subway. And then uh, of the, the ominous voice vote, you know, J.B. Pritzker, you know, is responsible for this. And Lori Lightfoot. How is Lori Lightfoot? Why are you dragging her into this, into a campaign against J.B. Pritzker? Why are you trying to exploit fear, exploit crime, exploit a feeling of helplessness? Why aren't you trying to help it? Where have you ever been? All you people who are now exploiting our problems, our crime, our homelessness. Where are you ever when it where are you ever when we need help? Nowhere to be found. You take advantage of it. You raise money off of it. Another story in the uh, in the paper today, right before I came on about Alex Jones. Alex Jones has been <laughs> absolutely horrifically, brutally insensitive to the survivors of a horrific shooting, a slaughter of innocent children in Connecticut. He's still pimping on that. He's still raising money off of that. Where's the compassion from Alex Jones? It's really hard for me to feel like, I tried to follow Michelle Obama's dictate. When they go low, we go high. I think as a principle, it's an admirable one to follow. I truly believe that. But it's really hard to continually go high when the other side just continually goes low. It's really hard to have like compassion for Ron DeSantis and what he's begging us to show compassion for people in Florida to send aid, to have federal dollars go there. It's really hard to like take him as a credible source when his behavior over the last few weeks has been abominable when in regards to immigrants trying to come into this country, flying in the Martha's Vineyard. No, first flying them from Texas to Florida so that he can get credit for flying them to Martha's Vineyard, then flying to Green Bay, Wisconsin to brag about it. And now he wants us to be compassionate. I am compassionate for the people in Florida. I, I hope and I realize just saying this, it's naive. And my guest who's waiting on uh, deck to come on is probably going to laugh at me for saying this because he always kind of chuckles when I'm naive. But I do hope that a guy like Ron DeSantis could use this moment to like as a point of reflection. He's asking everybody to be compassionate for those suffering in Florida because of a hurricane. Why don't you exhibit some compassion for everybody else outside of your political universe? Be it people who live in Chicago, be it people who are in uh, camps in Texas waiting to be allowed into the United States. Why don't you show some compassion for once? Why does it always have to be just when you need it, but never in your as a practical application as you go through life? All right, enough on that. I'm going to bring on my distinguished guest, the great Mick Dumkey, dear friend of mine my old partner in crime uh, at uh, the Chicago Reader. He used to edit me in the old days, uh, believe it or not. I think he got combat pay for that. Uh, Mick, before we get started on a whole list of, of things in my items, do you think I was being naive to expect MAGA Republicans to show the compassion to people in the city of Chicago that they 
expect people in Chicago to show their constituents when something horrific happens like the hurricane in Florida? Am I by being naive? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I told you you would say that. I <laughs> Come told on, you, man. you You analyze politics for a living. You know this is all politics. Yeah, I know. I'm a sucker. Uh, Mick Dumkey was with me. I, I say this all the time on the show because uh, I'm the butt of this joke. Uh, Mick, Mick and I for years did uh, First Tuesdays at the Hideout. Uh, we were partners in crime. Now Maya Dukmasov and I do it. I'm going to take an opportunity, Mick, to do a shameless plug. This coming Tuesday, we'll have Robert Peters and April Prayer. We're talking about the Safety Act. I urge everybody to show up at the Hideout at 6 o'clock. Uh, but Mick and I were co-host a different show when Lori Lightfoot came to the Hideout as candidate Lori Lightfoot uh, in the, I think it was, March of 2019, right before the general election. I think it was after she won the nomination. Or, excuse me, she made it to the runoff. And uh, she answered absolutely every question we asked in a way that would satisfy someone like me. And I was like, oh, my God, what a great candidate. And Mick, Mick was like, oh, my God, Ben, don't, you didn't fall for this, did you? <laughs> I think we both, we all, everyone in that room fell for it a little bit. I mean, she was good. I I've, honestly, Ben, I haven't seen her be that good since in our defense. Like she just won, she finished first in the in the initial round of balloting, you're right, 2019. And it was clear she had all the momentum. Uh, her opponent in the runoff, Tony Preckwink, was badly damaged by her connections to Ed Berg, who'd just been indicted. And uh, Lori had all the goods that night. She was even funny. She even showed some humor, as I recall. Yeah. Um, so what can you say? We, we, yeah. we still peppered her with questions. She answered them. Not entirely satisfactorily, but mostly uh so we did what we could yeah. we got her on the record yeah we got her on the record and, and it's my fault for falling for it all right uh speaking <laughs> of things that she would never have said she would do uh on that stage at the hideout uh, it's time uh, to talk about uh, your latest work uh, for ProPublica, which I urge everybody. I've been urging everybody to check it out anyway, uh, ever since it broke. I think it was last week. Uh, great story by Mick. Uh, and, uh, uh, and by the way, before I go here, I just want to say we're, we, we have a theme for this show. It's called Mick's Bin. Uh, so I'm going to go through the bin that is Mick's brain, uh, which includes a literal bin uh, where he keeps uh, his records, his LPs. This man, um, folks, is a diehard record collector, even in the age of uh, Spotify. And uh, he brought, he uh, is constantly uh, picking up new album or old albums uh, at record stores. And so he's got two great finds. I'm going to add one of my own. So we'll get to that. Uh, that'll be the dessert uh, to the main course, which will now uh, begin. So Mick. All right. Lead our uh, listeners through uh, just a ba the basics of what happened uh, last week when the uh, Chicago City Council and in its infinite wisdom decided to lease land that had been intended uh, for public housing uh, to the Chicago Fire uh, soccer team. Go ahead. Well, first of all, um, this technically was a zoning issue that came up last week before the city council. So uh, I came on a few months ago when I wrote um, earlier 
long form story about this deal uh, that Lori Lightfoot is pushing uh, that would allow the CHA to lease about 26 acres of property on the near west side, um, former site of the Abla Homes developments. Um, and uh, they would lease this land to the Chicago Fire soccer team, as you mentioned, which is owned by Joe Mansueto, a very successful business owner uh, who happens to be a billionaire. And so my earlier story was really about this, you know, whole issue of the Chicago Housing Authority taking more than two decades to fulfill uh, not just promises, but also court agreements uh, to rebuild housing and a lot of the sites that it had uh, dismantled as part of its long running plan for transformation. Um, and that this really this impending deal with the Chicago fire was emblematic of a lot of delays and broken promises by the CHA, as well as the housing crisis, the affordable housing crisis that uh, faces Chicago and many other cities. So fast forward to last week, um, in order to complete this deal, uh, the I'll, I'll try to spare everybody all the gory uh, administrative bureaucratic stuff. But in or, basically, in order to get this deal through, the city council had to sign off on a zoning change to make this, uh, this deal happen so that the Chicago Fire can build a practice facility on this site that uh, where homes previously stood, public housing homes. And so first, Ben, you know the drill. You've covered so many zoning deals, land transactions. Uh, I think that our officials count on the public not being able to follow all the technical stuff. Um, and that's one of the ways that it helps push through um, some of these deals that may not be super popular otherwise. So in this case, first, uh, because it required a zoning change in what's called a planned zoning district, planned development area, uh, it had to go to the Chicago Plan Commission, which is a panel of, uh, I believe they're all mayoral appointees. Some of them are specific positions like the zoning chair of the city council, but that position is picked by the mayor too. So basically the plan commission is packed with mayoral appointees. So they signed off on it the week before. Then last week it went to first the city council zoning committee chaired by Tom Tunney of the 44th ward uh, based in Lakeview. And in addition to the whole question about the Chicago Housing Authority, the proper use of its land, we saw a real uh, great example, classic example of Chicago politics at play in the zoning committee meeting. Uh, and I'll just cut to the chase. Initially, uh, because of the frustration by a number of older people with the CHA and its slow pace of building housing, uh, there was a lot of resistance to sign off on this, uh, you know, technical zoning change for this fire deal. And so last Tuesday afternoon, um, I was somewhat taken aback to hear that the, the committee do a roll call and vote against advancing the deal by a vote of seven to five. Now, why was I surprised? Not, not because the CHA is popular, but because you and I both know that 
the mayor and her team will rarely call something for they'll never call something for a vote if they don't think that they have the bodies to pass it right you just don't do that i mean that's classic like legislative whipping making sure you have your people in place if you don't have the votes you pull the item you don't you don't allow a roll call to be taken that will be an embarrassing loss but in this case uh, the zoning committee was held by zoom so the city council is in a weird place right now where they're holding a lot of their committee meetings still by zoom but the full meeting is in person and that's important here because ben uh this seven five vote was taken and there were a bunch of members of the zoning committee who had checked out they'd walked away from their computers they were no longer on the zoom call whatever their reason they were a wall when the vote was taken so the nays carried it <laughs> and everyone was just kind of stunned it was like yeah. you know I, again it's by zoom but you can even sense i've, I've covered enough of these things that you just get the sense like oh wow well what do we do now um, and, and Tom Tunney, who has, you know, made a point the last few months of talking about his displeasure with Lori Lightfoot to the point, you know, to the degree that he says he's mulling a mayoral bid. Well, he still did his job as the appointed, the Lightfoot appointed chair of the zoning committee. And, uh, he said at first, okay, well, next item. And then a few minutes later, he said, this committee will reconvene tomorrow morning to reconsider the Chicago fire CHA item. And then, I mean, it's just, this is again, classic Chicago politics, right? The, uh, the mayor's team loses a vote. And so then they just immediately call the do over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hillary Clinton wishes she had that power in 2016. You know what I mean? Uh, let's just do a do over immediately. Okay. Let's do it. Let's just call it, do a do over right now. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it was for the next morning. So we, we want to think about this overnight. We want to make sure we have enough bodies present for tomorrow morning. So we're going to do it tomorrow morning. Um, and you have people who, you know, once were committee chairs. Well, I'll name the person, Anthony Beal, who was once a committee chair under both Mayor Richard M. Daly and Rahm Emanuel. And, you know, I've seen him do things like Tom Tunney just did, which was to advance the agenda that was uh, provided and, and push it along and make sure there are no problems. This case, of course, he's been on the outs with Lori Lightfoot since she took office and stripped him of his committee chairmanship. And so now he's a leading voice for procedure, following proper procedure at the city council. So he immediately cried foul and said, you can't do this. We voted no. You're required to report out you know, what the committee's activities were at tomorrow's meeting. Um, but Tunney's argument was that we haven't actually finished the meeting. We're just going to take a break and reconvene tomorrow morning. And so then the next morning, Ben, I'll shut up in a second, but just to finish this, this tale, the next morning they reconvene before the full city council meeting. And, uh, you know, the mayor's team was ready to go. Uh, Tunney says something like, it's come to my attention that we now have letters of, in support of this deal from the resident leaders at ABLA, uh, you know, the public housing development where this fire deal would go. 
and uh, they also had, of course, a city lawyer on hand to say that, oh, no, under this, the council's own rules, it's rule number, I want to say it's 36. I may have that wrong. Uh, 36 may be the one where the other people are supposed to pick their own committee chairs and yeah. assignments, which they're also violating. Uh, but anyway, the lawyer cited the city council rule, said we're allowed to do this. Uh, someone who voted, but the technic, the technical reason, this is important. The way to do this, the, in order to reconsider a vote, someone who was on the winning side of the yes. vote had to move to reconsider it. Yes. So one of the people who voted against the deal had to say, Hey, I want to do over. Yeah. And of course they had Felix Cardona was ready. Uh, alderman from the northwest side he moved they did a new vote and this time nine to five it passed the mayor's people had nine bodies present and as is typical as we've seen so many times in the city and covered the city council you and i uh the progressives actually lost votes yeah with within 12 within 24 hours they lost votes so they went from seven days a day before to five the next day. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and so the matter passed the zoning committee uh, and then gets uh, moves on to the full council where it was overwhelmingly approved. This is what's so bizarre about it. I think it was 37 to 11. In the, 37 like to 11. Now, in the old days, we would have said, wow, 11, no votes. I mean, you know, in in the era where uh, oftentimes the budget votes were 50 to nothing or 49 to one when like Tony Preckwinkle would be irked at something Daly did and she would vote no, uh, you know, 11 votes would feel like, you know, uh, it's like a revolution is brewing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, in this era, 37 to 11, that's still a pretty decisive, solid victory for Mayor Lightfoot. Well, look on the bright side. I got twice as many votes, uh, twice as many no votes as the parking meter deal, uh, <laughs> which right. will probably go down in history as the absolute worst piece of legislation uh, the Chicago City Council uh, passed in this century. Maybe I would say close second is Mayor Rahm's first budget where he closed the mental health facilities. But that's a, a topic yeah, for another show. The casino I, vote goes. Uh, yeah. How that looks in, in <laughs> You're the always So, yeah, there's going to be fierce competition along the way, Ben. But, yeah, you and I both agree we've written thousands of words, <laughs> uh, spent umpteen hours talking about the parking meter deal. It still stinks. And, by the way, uh, God bless them, uh, there's still a case against trying to get the parking meter overturned yes. Yes. Um, that is uh, hanging around in the federal courts still. Yes. Uh, shout out Micah Udrich, who comes on the show uh, from time to time, uh, is the name plaintiff in that case. Good luck That's with that right. one. Uh, and it should have been filed in 2000 and what was it, Mick? Nine, whenever the vote went down. Uh, maybe it would have had a better chance. Uh, all right. So much to unpack here. And we, we, we tend to concentrate uh, on the making of the sausage uh, because for uh, obsessive geeks like uh, Mick and myself, it is fascinating. Uh, 
uh, I would argue before I leave the making of the sausage that in many ways I put I put this out there the other day, Mick. Um, Tom Tunney was himself auditioning uh, for the role of mayor following this, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Tunney, the uh, alderman of the 44th Ward, chair of the zoning committee, businessman, generally conservative on pocketbook issues. Uh, it's announced he's not going to run for re-election as alderman of the 44th Ward. He is instead, as Mick said, mulling uh, a can- candidacy for mayor. I think he's actually circulating petitions. I think he announced that the other day. He's actually circulating petitions. I believe, uh, Mick, that this was his way of sending a signal to corporate Chicago that I, Tom Tunney, know how to get things done. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot couldn't get anything done, but I can get things. This is such a big thing in Chicago, the ability to get things done, even though, make, in my humble opinion, most of the stuff that they get done is not something anybody really wants. Um, but uh, so well, I think somebody that was, wants it. That's why they're yes. doing it. But uh, would, it, would it pass a, uh, a referendum yeah. with the whole city weighing in? That's a whole other question. So, All right. Uh, so let's get to the issue of who wants uh, the Abla land to be uh, transferred into a soccer facility clearly the owner of the chicago fire wants that uh and they had some letters of support from uh, some of the residents who still live in abla most of abla has been torn down so it's a fraction of the people who live there there is mick on the other that was the cover that walter burnett used that david moore used that various aldermen used to justify voting for the deal well the residents are for it the residents want it yeah yeah i my uh response is well um, you only polled uh, a certain number of residents who are still there. What about all the residents who were kicked out with the promise that they would be brought back and who are on a waiting list? I submit to you that they should get a vote in this too. So do they want uh, the land to be used for a soccer facility or would they like it uh, to be converted uh, into housing so that they can come back? I would buy that uh, result a little more than I would buy the results of the handful of people uh, who are still at Apple. But that's just the justification, Mick. The reality is that you the city promised to build housing on this land uh, when it was the, the housing that was there was torn down. And now they're effectively breaking the promise. Yesterday in the show, as I told you, Derek Blakey was on and he opined that uh, if the city makes a promise that is really everybody knows uh, it will never be uh, kept, they shouldn't be held responsible responsible future generations of mayors should not be held responsible for the promises that a previous mayor made when everybody knew that promise would be broken uh so what's your just sort of general response to that very chicago-like uh attitude uh toward uh, the situation well my first response is that we should get derek on the parking meter deal then because uh (laughs) then we can undo that by his logic um that works perfectly um it's interesting because the exact opposite argument has been made for keeping the parking meter deal in place uh remember when uh rom basically got the city council to lock it uh in place with a second vote on the deal because after he he and his team tweaked it a little bit. And and one of their arguments was kind of like, you know, that the city, and I followed all the legal proceedings going back to uh, 2008, 2009, when you and I were first covering this. Uh, you know, one of their arguments is always that, no, this is legally binding. What a precedent this would set if the city started to get out of its agreements, then uh, people would not be willing to enter into agreements with the city and so forth and so on. Um, 
for Derek's specific point about the CHA was what we're actually supposed to be talking about, how easy it is for me to get pulled into the parking meters. Uh, it's almost like someone mentioned TIFF, the word TIFF to you, Ben. Uh, um, I just can't, can't resist the bait, taking the bait. Uh, but Derek's argument, I mean, you know, these were not just promises. First of all, uh, I think, um, Having reported on the CHA and the plan for transformation off and on for years now, I got to tell you, it's about much more than public housing. You mentioned the mental health clinics closing. Of course, uh, Rom closed 50 public schools in one fell soup, and then there've been there were others closed before that. A lot of people really feel that uh, on the south and west sides of Chicago feel that what happened with the plan for transformation is emblematic of uh, disinvestment in the black community uh, specifically. And also just uh, a way that uh, city officials are either don't care about the fate of uh, low income people in Chicago or are trying to push them out, actively trying to push them out. And so... I think that any time you're talking about uh, the CHA, the plan for transformation, affordable housing going forward, it really touches the nerves with a lot of people who uh, just feel like this is a way to uh, disinvest and disenfranchise uh, the black community in Chicago, um, which has uh, been declining, by the way, since the plan for transformation was launched. Um, and then secondly, I think uh, you know there's an affordable housing crisis here. I mean, you mentioned the CHA's waiting list. There are more than 30,000 people waiting uh, for a CHA unit. There are tens of thousands of others waiting for a housing choice voucher, which they could take and rent an apartment in the private market. Um, and there are people waiting for senior housing. And those are just people who are allowed onto the waiting list. The CHA closes its waiting list at a certain point in time. So I think that uh, Lori Lightfoot's own housing commissioner has said that there's a, a shortage of at least 100,000 units of housing in Chicago uh, that should be made affordable to, to low-income and working people here. So there's a real housing need. And then talking specifically about the CHA, uh, okay, promises, you don't think much of the promises that a different generation of people made, fine. Well, uh, guess what? A lot of these are locked up in federal court agreements and consent decrees at this point in time. Uh, for instance, at uh, Cabrini Green, the former Cabrini Green development, uh, the CHA is obligated under uh, court agreements, consent decrees, things that have been worked out through litigation uh, to build 1,800 more affordable and public housing units. Um, at ABLA, we were just talking about the numbers 2,400, and so far, fewer than a third of those have been finished. So um, listen, uh, you don't think much of the plans or the promises they made 20 years ago? Okay, well, what do you think about the fact that some of these agreements are overseen by federal judges. They got to follow through. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and there is a, uh, a direct tie. This has really been on my mind. Uh, when I read the news every day, Mick, I read the news uh, and reporters, you know, they're just reporting literally what's happening. If you're old enough to have been around Chicago, like me and you hate to say it, Mick, like you as well, been around <laughs> Chicago for a few years, you That's remember, great. you remember 
what went down 30 years ago. So, for instance, today's uh, front page story in the Chicago Tribune, enrollment falls again in Chicago public schools. Uh, it's now Chicago. This is something that Chicago's obsessed with, where we rank in the country. And so Chicago is now third. I think it's that's the number third in uh, school enrollment, public school enrollment. It's a sign of shame almost, like we're not the si- significant city we used to be. And I'm thinking, hello, <laughs> remember yeah. to, 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 when you knock down the housing at Abla and Caprini Green and uh, Stayway Gardens and Robert? I mean, at the time they they gave the best justifications for doing so, make that this it was horrific housing. They felt bad for the people who had to live there, so we're going to tear it down and start over with um, like mixed housing projects, uh, so it's not a concentration of poor people. And then of course they just abandoned <laughs> the the part about bringing people back to uh, their neighborhoods where they've been kicked out. And of course school enrollment falls. So if you consider school enrollment dropping a problem, you might want to think about that decision to run all these people out of Chicago in the first place. And that list goes on and on, Make where I see something in the uh, headline in the paper and think about, oh, yeah, well, this relates to this story that Mick and I covered back in 2006. Do you get what, that's, that's what happens, Mick, when you live long enough okay? yeah that's right exactly you're and and you you realize that you've covered one of these things before i mean i couldn't help with uh the the zoning committee uh stuff shenanigans last week procedures uh maneuvers whatever word you want to use um i couldn't help but think of a couple of things that we had covered in the past i i thought about the time that uh Mayor Daly worked with Ed Burke and Tom Tunney to um, repeal the foie gras ban that uh, that then Alderman Joe Moore had pushed through, you know, uh, the city council. And Daly hated that. um, And he was looking for a way to get rid of it. And so he waited till a a city council meeting was winding down. Like there's a if you cover a lot of these or hang around these places, you know, okay, they get to the point in the meeting. Everybody's given all their speeches. They've moved through all the legislation. And then they're talking about the date for the next meeting. And that means we're, ah, oh, we can finally go to lunch. Uh, but at that moment, <laughs> daily with help from Tony and Ed Burke, um, you know, basically introduced abruptly a uh, the repeal of the foie gras ban and within a couple minutes uh they did a roll call and the whole thing was gone and uh, joe moore tried to speak in favor of it and they cut his mic off they said uh procedure doesn't allow you to speak right now i thought about that i thought about the big box uh ordinance remember those quaint days when the city council was consumed with uh whether to allow walmarts and targets into chicago and and um, over Daly's objections, city council passed a measure that would make big box stores pay a higher wage. Uh, then Daly came back and vetoed the measure, which was unthinkable that he would have to use veto power up until then, right? Because he had such control over the council. And he got uh, a couple of older people to flip their votes. People who voted in favor of it then voted to sustain his veto. And so I just couldn't help but think about that stuff. Um, and yes, it is about how the sausage is made, but it is about democracy. It's about the democratic process and, and the lack of it so often around here. Still. Oh, man. I, I, I mean, this now you're 
preaching to the choir. And because what I'm about to say, I actually believe, <laughs> as opposed to all the other stuff, which I don't actually believe. But <laughs> no, what I, I say, I actually believe it because it's going to sound so naive. When it comes out of my mouth, you're going to go, oh, come on, Ben. But I actually believe this. I believe there is a correlation uh, to these kinds of uh, tactics employed that you could probably do 10 more. OK, if you if you really thought about it, Mick, so many examples, yeah. so many gaps, examples of the games that mayors play uh, to get around a city council vote that went didn't go their way. I could draw a correlation to that. And the fact that what a voting pop turnout is like 30 percent. I have so yeah. many conversations with Chicagoans, particularly younger Chicagoans who just tell me flat out it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And we go back to the, the, the kidding we did about Lori Lightfoot. She told us things straight to our face with a smile on her face and conviction in her voice that she was absolutely going to do. And then once in office, she not only did none of that, she did the opposite. And then she mocked people like me for believing her. Because yeah. I remember the articles in the paper where they were like, duh, nobody keeps her promises. And so, Mick, I do believe it has a corrosive effect. I believe, and I think the aldermen understand it does too, and it benefits them because if turnout is low, the Jason Irvins of the world have a much better chance of getting election, elected. He was a guy who was championing this particular bill. That's why yeah, I mentioned it's in, it's, in, it's in his ward. And by the way, I mean, who knows what people actually think or believe about this? Someone, uh, before my last story, I don't think I told this story, but I um, let's just say I have uh, someone – I'm just going to say it. Somebody leaked a recording to me of a conversation between Jason Irvin and some of the resident leaders at ABLA in which uh, Alderman Irvin basically said, look, I know Mayor Lightfoot really wants this deal with the fire to go through because I got a call from her at like six in the morning about it. And my advice to you, resident leaders, is that uh, you accept the fact that it's going to happen. And so you get on board and extract whatever you can uh, as, you know, from the fact that it's going through, that you get something out of it for your community. Um, and, you know, in terms of uh, just real political advice, that was probably pretty good advice from the alder person. <laughs> well, let me let me push back on you on that. Let me push back. What have they got? They okay. So they follow his advice. They signed on to it. They're signing on to it. it was cited by David Moore, Alderman David Moore, and uh, uh, Alderman Felix Cordova as the reason why they flipped their votes. Uh, it, it was actually the reason cited for even having the second meeting. It was like, well, new evidence has emerged that has required us to have the second meeting. The new evidence being letters of support from Abla. So what did the res the residents at ABLA essentially enabled uh, Joe Monsueto to get control of this chunk of public land, which was intended for low-income housing and now will be used for his soccer facility? He gets something out of the deal. What did the residents of ABLA get in exchange for helping a billionaire get access to land intended for poor people? Well, uh, some of the specific things that uh, they've been promised, again, there's that word promise. I wonder what Derek would think of these promises. Uh, 
We're going to keep beating up on you, Derek. I hope you're listening. Uh, uh, <laughs> That'll teach you for coming on the Bender Off. That's show right. Exactly. He'll be, he'll be right back, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> they've been promised that there will be money put into rehabbing some of the existing properties at Abla, uh, which, by the way, the CHA already had on its to-do list. Um, even before this deal was uh, put together. Uh, but they said that that will happen with some of the money. They've said that a community center will be uh, you know, rehabilitated. They said that they will get opportunities for jobs, that there will be recreational opportunities for youth, um, you know, additional parking will be built. I mean, a bunch of little goodies around there. Um, who am I to say whether this is stuff that's important to their community or not, Ben? But we know how this works. Um, you know, people see that there's a deal pending. Uh, Jason Irvin articulated sort of one of the uh, philosophies of Chicago politics, which is that it's better to be on the winning side. Yeah. And so if you sense that you're going to be on the losing side, why would you fight that battle? You might as well get on the winning side and get something out of it. Well, uh, I, I'm not saying that it's the, I, I'm just telling you that the, he articulated the way people think. I'm not saying that's the way it should work. I'm just saying that's how, that's how people operate around here. right? Oh, and if you just jump aboard the winning side because you know it's going to win, then you get nothing for being on the winning side. The only time you get something is when you uh, withhold your support for it. Who out the great uh, the the great maestro? Here I am quoting Rick Munoz, the former alderman of the twenty fifth ward, uh, whose life took a total spiral, uh, but he used to tell you and me, Mick, we were the beneficiaries of his off the record wisdom that. Uh, I'm going to vote, end up voting for this, but I'm going to get something for this for my award. Remember, I can't right. tell you, I, if I, and Bob Fioretti used to tell me that I'm going to get something for this. <laughs> I'm going to trade my vote. All right, good luck. I, uh, I just wonder, Mick, listening to what uh, the, the uh, residents. Well, both of them now in different forms of political exile, I yes. might add, um, in part of their own making. But uh, yes, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, Fioretti running as a Republican against Tony Prickle. Wow, that's a whole other story. All right. Uh, I'm just wondering if Joe Mansueto, again, the billionaire owner of the Chicago Fire, would ever sign onto a deal like the one that the Abla people signed on, where he exchanged something of value that he had in return for nothing but vague promises to do stuff that had already been promised. You get what I'm saying? Like they'd already been promised a lot of the stuff that they were now. Pro so they really got nothing. I mean, I would make the compelling argument. I think you got nothing in exchange for this deal uh, other than a promise to make good on the previous promises that they had not made good on. I can't imagine Joe Mansueto having a deal where he was going to say, OK, sounds good to me. I will now sell a good chunk of my business ventures based on a promise to do something that you already promised to do and you hadn't done. Do you th can you think of any titan of industry, Mick, who would sign on to a deal like that? I cannot, um, but I'm neither a titan of industry nor a resident leader at ABLA. And I just want to be clear, like we're not picking on the resident leaders. I mean, I listen, they have to, they're elected by the members of their community. And if they don't provide good service, I assume they will not be elected again. Um, 
well, it's Chicago. I guess I shouldn't go that far, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Uh, they, um, you know, I, I'm not in their shoes. So, and ultimately, this is a power play in which, uh, you know, they were, I think it's fair to say they were used. They continue to be used. And um, if they got something that they think is worth it to them, then more power to them. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, fair enough. Uh, we'll uh, move on. By the way, what, in your humble opinion, just is, are there a pro that you can think of, aside from the promises, the vague promises made to uh, the residents of Abla, can you think of a positive for the city uh, in general to have the fire, have the facility there, as opposed to any other swath of vacant land in the city of Chicago, of which there are many, 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 many all over the place. Is there something about that particular site that is, will be particularly uh, rewarding for the city of Chicago? Well, I don't know how it'll be rewarding for the city of Chicago, but their argument is that uh, this, they expect this to bring, additional development to the area, which will be helpful to the whole neighborhood, including CHA residents and uh, the Abel community. Uh, that may be. I mean, I, I don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. It is a vacant swath of land. Um, obviously, the CHA has not followed through on its plans and promises to do something with that land. And so I think, you know, the city's decided that, uh, of course, A, they want to make Joe Mansueto happy, but also uh, that, you know, this fills a hole. It's yeah. better to have something there than nothing. That is their argument. And if, if you just boil it down just to that, without the backdrop of the housing crisis and the CHA's uh, delayed uh, plan for transformation, uh, you know, that's not a terrible argument to make, right? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't think so, Mick. If, if it's better to have something than nothing, and the nothing is caused by you not building the something that you promised to build. Uh, well, that's what I'm like saying. If you were able to strip yeah. away all this other stuff, yeah. if it's just something versus nothing, of course that makes sense, you know. Yeah. But I, it's not just something versus nothing. That's a bogus argument. I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like you know the old line, which I never get tired of saying. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how do you like to play? Yeah, uh, right. And right. Uh, you know, if you overlook all the others stuff all right mick no sooner uh to use this old hackney metaphor did the ink dry on your story your great story one more time everybody should check it out at ProPublica about the wheeling and dealing on this deal then another uh highly publicized uh deal went down in the city over the last few days uh it's this one's more in limbo i'm not quite sure how this will work out uh having to do with uh, once again, CHA land, uh, this one uh, on the near south side, which uh, will be, if Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot gets her way, be used for a school, a new high school. Uh, so why don't you uh, talk a little bit about this as well, because there are some obvious uh, connections or some similarities, I should say, uh, to the Abla deal. There are. Um, and, and first of all, uh, you know, Nader Issa and, and Sarah Karp um, from the Sun-Times, WBEZ, respectively, uh, Tracy Swartz at the Tribune. I mean, they've been really doing a great job. And, I'm, and other education reporters, I don't mean a slight, you know, chalk beat. People have really been doing a great job covering this ongoing tale, too, which is really, I don't know how you feel about it, Ben, because we didn't really talk about this in detail beforehand. But I just feel like this is another classic Chicago story about 
power and race and politics and land use. Um, it's just touch education. It touches on so many different things. So I'll, I'll try to cut to the chase. Um, in this case, the Chicago public schools uh, approached the CHA and proposed a land swap. Uh, CPS wants a swath of land at, like you said, on the near south side at what used to be the Ickes homes. Uh, it's basically, for those of you uh, know your local geography, about 24th and state. Uh, the Ickes homes used to be from like Cermak all the way down to about 25th along State Street, Dearborn, Federal, uh, that area. And uh, so CPS basically saw that uh, the Ickes homes have been very slow uh, to be redeveloped. The Ickes home site, just like at Abla and just like at uh, many other CHA sites. And so CPS said, we would like a chunk of this land to build a new high school, um, the near South high school. And there's a whole complicated and fascinating backstory to why this school is going to go in. But the short answer, uh, the short version is that the South loop is booming. Parents there want a high school for their kids. Uh, parents and leaders in Chinatown would like a high school for their kids and so CPS decided it could uh, put a high school in neither of those communities um, on the Icky site and uh, package it as a deal that is going to help everybody. Um, they're saying it's going to be super diverse. It'll have students from Chinatown, from the South Loop, and from the near South Side, which is basically code for saying it'll have uh, Asian, white, and black students all going to the same high school. Um, but this has touched off uh, really a, set, a series of con controversies. And, you know, of the people who are against it, you kind of have to ask them why, because there's a bunch of different reasons for it, right? So the big one, like what we've been talking about with the fire deal is that once again, this is uh, the CHA preparing to give up another strip of land for a purpose other than housing at an area where they're obligated to build hundreds of replacement units and have not yet done so. Um, there's also the issue of, you know, who is this high school being built for? Um, in the black community on the near south side, uh, I've just spoken to so many people who are, you know, just say right out of the bat, it's not built for us. This is our school's need investment, our existing predominantly black high schools need investment. And instead, they're building this school in our community for somebody else, the white people in the South Loop. Um, and then you have people in Chinatown who, while advocating for a high school to serve their students uh, closer to their community and, and you know, with uh, cultural education appropriate for their community, um, are in favor of a new school, but also uncomfortable with it being built uh, you know, at Ickes, given the history of the plan for transformation. Uh, the state representative who you know, came up with the money to, to get this high school going, Teresa Ma, announced that she no longer backs this particular plan because she thinks it's racially divisive and doesn't want to uh, let Lori Lightfoot um, claim an election victory, a pre-election victory by pushing this thing through. Um, so there's a lot of different 
kind of current swirling around this thing. Uh, but the bottom line is that uh, over a couple months ago, first the CHA board signed off on the plan anyway, despite some uh, criticism. And then even after more criticism and concerns built up, yesterday the Board of Education signed off on it as well. And one last point about the Board of Education vote, which was four to three. Again, this is uh, practically like a 37 to 11 vote in city council terms, like close, but not close enough, right? Um, the decisive vote was cast by uh, Michael Scott Jr., who uh, was just put on the board by Lori Lightfoot to replace a critic of this deal. So... Basically, if Lori Lightfoot had not dumped someone who uh, Dwayne Truss, who had voiced skepticism about building a high school that CPS may or may not need on CHA, former public housing property, he got dumped for expressing his doubts. And then she put in a loyalist who made sure that it got through the Board of Education yesterday. That is a great uh, uh, riff, make great recitation uh, about tying a lot of issues together. And as you said at the out front, uh, any, like when it comes to Chicago, and maybe true in other cities, but I only know Chicago, when it comes to Chicago, whenever you have a matter like a new school and the, and the, um, the fight over it, or like the, the, um, soccer facility on public land, the fight over that, you're really gonna go back into time and trace it to just fights, squabbles, land use battles, court cases, unilateral decisions by all powerful mayor, rubber stamp city councils, racial attitudes, racial fear, racial prejudice. It goes back to like the race riots of 1919. It's like <laughs> yep. nothing ever changes in Chicago, ultimately. And we just keep doing the same old thing. So you don't like Dwayne Trust, you don't trust him, get rid of him. We'll put Michael Scott in. He stepped out so he could get a job in the public sector from his promise to serve for four years. His sister is now the older, older woman of the ward was replaced. He was replaced by his sister. Undoubtedly, she'll have the head start on anybody running uh, in the upcoming election. It's like an ongoing carnival and circus dedicated to what? A way of life, Mick, or a worldview that hasn't worked. I don't know what else to say. It hasn't worked. Well, it works for somebody. That's why it keeps happening. <laughs> That's right. You always correct me when I, mean, I say that. for everybody, Somebody's but yeah, it works getting, for somebody. Yeah. Uh, and so in the case of a new school on this land, uh, I know that there are real estate interests behind the scenes. They probably won't go public with this, Mick, but I know they're whispering into I've to the mayor's ear, and I remember this with fights over Jones, when Jones was converted from a secretarial school uh, in the South Loop to uh, a smart kid school that you had to take a test to get into for citywide smart kid school. And I remember Paul Vallis, then this, the head of CPS going, uh, this will be good for real estate. At least he was open about it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Right, exactly. uh, but I could hear the real estate interest going, we have this new high school. It'll be a selling point. I could say to somebody looking to buy a townhouse, you know, uh, just south of the loop that you can send your kids to this public grammar school uh, free of charge. And then you can go right to this high school free of charge. Maybe you can get into Jones right down. The, you know what I'm saying, Mick? I know the arguments that will be made. And once again, it'll be like, can we just get these poor black people out of the way so we can – 
take care of this. You know what I'm saying, Mick? I just, yeah, it's a repeat of everything. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely. Um, these themes just keep coming up over and over again. There's a Jones connection to this proposed high school site as well, because, um, when they rebuilt Jones, there was not, you know, they rebuilt Jones downtown, um, just uh, just south of the main part of the loop, and there wasn't room for a running track and an athletic field. So uh, a previous deal was made, a series of land swaps, to put that running track and athletic field on CHA property, also yeah. at the Icky site uh, down on the near south side, um, a couple miles away from Jones High School. So Icky's continues to be carved up. It is uh, kind of a metaphor in a lot of ways for just how, um, you know, a lot of our officials here see that land as like available for whatever use they need at that time. And uh, the housing has just been very, very slow to be rebuilt. The CHA has started to rebuild some of the housing there. They have a couple of buildings that are supposed to open anytime. I think they said they're, um, they're actually starting a leasing process, but uh, that still won't get them even halfway to the obligations uh, for the housing they have to build at, at that site. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's uh, stop being so sober and somber with all these horrific news stories of the day, which are kind of weirdly entertaining at the same time, uh, and uh, move on to something. We'll close down with something a little more uh, enjoyable. Uh, and so anybody who has uh, heard Mick on the show uh, knows that he has a lot of outside interests uh, other than politics. Uh, he's come on the show. He's talked about football. He's talked about baseball. He's talked about uh, his Bob Dylan. Uh, he's talked about uh, this goes on and on. Uh, oh, boy, Bruce Springsteen. That's right. Uh, I, I think you you and I did spend an entire was it an entire hour talking about one song by Bob Dylan. Yes, or half one song. Yeah. Murder yeah. So Foul. Yeah. Uh, it's extraordinary to me how many hits that has. I, I get it. <laughs> That's hey, I go. It's a great show. You know, you want to dive deep on one song by Bob Dylan. Uh, one song. Guys. We're, we're one your song. nerds, okay? So, by the uh, way, I, and I will resist the temptation to continue with the discussion, okay? Because I don't even think we <laughs> grace the surface. Uh, but one thing you need to know about Mick, and you probably know this already if you listen to the Romana uh, Hussein segments, because she's always making fun of Mick. Uh, Romana is a regular guest here and, and Mick's wife. Uh, Mick loves just spending time uh, listening to his LPs. And uh, he's got hundreds of LPs. I mean, actual records, ladies and gentlemen, not Spotify. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Romano likes to go out, you know, and uh, see the sights. Uh, and Mick likes to sit at home and listen to the records. It's an ongoing joke. I don't know how much of it's true, but it's an ongoing joke whenever <laughs> Romano's done. Uh, so Mick, it's, it's, you... it's fairly accurate. It's fairly <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I'm. Uh, Romano will. Uh, it's not that I never leave the house. Let's be clear. But uh, Romano is more social than I am, and uh, so yeah, she will often be out with friends or and a family thing. And I will be listening to 70 soul music and texting you about it and the Chicago bulls. So that yes. is a frequent occurrence. It's true. And I will be probably watching a basketball game and listening to music as well. So you're very proud of these two records uh, that you plucked from obscurity that have all been forgotten. Uh, I think 
I would just love to hear you uh, do a take a little uh, mini deep dive on the these two records that you found at a used. I don't know where I can't remember where the used record store was, but it's your story. So take it away and tell it. And then I'll uh, close it down with my reminiscent of a record that I just plucked from uh, the back pages of my mind. So go ahead, Mick. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I, so, you know, sometimes uh, as a avid music fan and record collector i go to the record store and yes i still love hanging out in record stores actual physical record stores you can order anything online ben as you know um, and that includes music there are specific sites you can look up any album you can get a particular pressing of any album if you really are searching for it i'm i'm not quite that um intense about it but you know sometimes you go to the record store I'm in the mood for something in particular. There's a new album. I do buy new music as well, like newly made music. Um, but lots of times I like to go and I like to sift through the bargain bins, the cheapos. I like to see what has been discarded, what other people think is only worth uh, a dollar or two and see if I can find some gems. And usually I can. So I was um, recently on a work-related trip to New York City. Um, our mutual friend, uh, Mark Baser, strongly urged me to uh, visit a particular record store um, in the East Village. And so I uh, found the time, walked over there, and man, I go, I'm walking up, and there are just crates and crates of records sitting on tables outside the record store. And including, <laughs> in addition to all the stuff they've got inside, they have got hundreds of records sitting outside that you can thumb through. And these are all like under $3. I just couldn't believe it. I spent like an hour just flipping through them. So among the finds I had, there were a couple I wanted to share with you because I thought you would appreciate it. Um, you and I disagree very strongly on things like uh, alternative rock and roll from the 90s, uh, which you detest and I love. But we share a strong uh, joy and love of not just Bob Dylan, but uh, 60s and 70s soul music. And so I grabbed these and I thought they were perfect to talk about with you. One of them, I texted you the first time I was playing it. It is called Motown Show Tunes. And it uh, is a collection of songs that, um, you know, as the cover suggests, are basically from movie soundtracks from the 70s uh, by Motown artists. And there's just some great stuff on here. There's, uh, of course, um, you know, Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye, one of in my one of my favorite Marvin Gaye songs, just an incredible song. And then there's stuff that I hadn't um ever heard before there are a couple of tracks by like willie hutch the great willie hutch um one is uh, i guess i have heard of these because i've seen the movies but i you know they weren't songs that i really focused on when i watched the movies but one is the theme of foxy brown i know you love that movie and another was uh from the mac brother's gonna work it out yeah. uh, and i could go on and on but Perhaps my favorite, um, after Trouble Man, perhaps my favorite, mm -hmm. even though it is an incredibly cheesy song, I just love the theme from Mahogany by Diana oh, yeah. Ross. Uh, <laughs> do you know where you're going to? It is, it is corny, yeah. um, but I just love that song. And just a couple of weeks ago, 
Ramana and I and one of her sisters went and saw Diana Ross live and she played that and I was absolutely thrilled. So this record is a winner and it cost me all of three dollars. Uh, uh, so yeah, and I too have made the pilgrimage to Ravinia to see uh, Diana Ross. Uh, I remain a huge fan of Diana Ross. Uh, I had a crush on her back in real time in the 60s. She did not know that. He was from afar. Uh, <laughs> no reason she would know some obscure guy in Evanston had a crush on her. Uh, I was not alone, by the way. Uh, plenty of my classmates did as well. well I, th I think it actually included the founder and president of Motown Records. Yeah, it's very hardy. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he acted on his crush, whereas I just watched from far. Uh, and um, so she gave a, it was a fantastic concert, Mick. I remember it uh, so clearly in part because there was a young man. I say young man. He was a, a, a millennial, clearly. Uh, sitting like in the one of the front rows, and he was he somehow or other, he must have had a parent who led him. That I don't know how he did, but he had found his way to the music of Diana Ross, and he couldn't help himself. He stood up and he was dancing and singing along with Diana Ross. I still remember this. My wife and I were so we were smiling when we were just. And Diana Ross gave him a, like a tip of the hat because he was so into Diana Ross, and he was like. I mean, I don't know how old he was, but he sure looked like he was in his early 20s. Uh, so there is something about Diana Ross's music, her voice, I think, uh, that stands the test of time. I stand by that. And uh, so, yes, I, and I'm a fan of the movie Mahogany. I saw the movie like three times. <laughs> uh, and uh, as for Trouble Man. Uh, it's got to be one of the greatest songs that Marvin Gaye ever did, which is saying a lot. Which is saying yeah. it's one of the greatest songs ever, ever. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Marvin it's just Gaye. Incredible. Marvin Gaye's brilliance just uh, lives on and on. And I just got to share this, uh, Mick. So I had a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago, a, uh, a, a director. Um, he directed the money plays. Kenny Leon is the name. Shout out Kenny Leon. Uh, he directed King James that played here in Chicago and L.A. And so going to New York. And King James is a story about two friends. I absolutely love this play uh, who share a love for basketball. Uh, and it's called King James because they live in Cleveland and they're Cavalier fans. LeBron James is a presence in this play, even if he's not in the play himself. They talk about him obsessively. Great play. I, urge, I can't sing its praises enough. Kenny Leon was on the, the show and he talked about the playlist he put together. To uh, There's a DJ that plays Spins Records. Uh, and it's a great playlist. It's from his own personal collection. The number one he felt compelled to begin the show because it's about basketball. So it's like um, going to a game. With You start with the national anthem. He, of course, chose Marvin Gaye's rendition of the national anthem, which Marvin Gaye sang at a basketball game, an NBA All-Star game in L.A. in 1983, about a year before he died. Uh, and then he said, he, in his opinion, it's the greatest national anthem rendition of all time. I agree with him on that point. Love to get your thoughts. Maybe you can name uh, a couple of other others that are just like it. But Trouble Man is this is just in a category, Mick, uh, as a movie uh, lead in. I can't think of, I don't know, I can't think of any right now that, oh no, what am I thinking? Isaac Hayes Shaft, which opens uh, the movie Shaft, but works so well with the dynamic that the director is trying to convey with Trouble Man. I told you, Trouble Man is a problematic movie. It doesn't stand the test of time. But what a great 
song to get you in the mood for like a super cool guy that, you know, is a private eye and uh, just sets the tone uh, for what will follow. So that's my feeling about Trouble Man, which when we're done, I'm probably going to go listen to. Anyway, the challenge, Mick, can you name two other national anthem standards that uh, you would put on the list with Marvin Gaye? Because I'm sure you agree that Marvin Gaye's rendition is one of the greatest of all time. I do agree. Um, right now, I can only think of one other rendition that I would put up there, and that, is, of course, is Jimi Hendrix's rendition of the national anthem. Um, I'm sure I've encountered others. I just can't think of it right this second because I'm thinking about Trouble Man. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you got Trouble Man on the brain. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to go with Whitney Houston. Uh, Whitney Houston and. Uh... Uh, Jose Feliciano, I love his version of it. But uh, I go, uh, Marvin Gaye's my number one. And yeah, Jimmy uh, is probably number two. Uh, all right, Mick, I'm going to tell you about my um, rediscovery. Uh, I've had a couple, actually. Uh, one I actually wrote about, All in All, by the Earth, Wind, by Earth, Wind and Fire. But I'm going to talk about uh, Pharaoh Sanders. He just died, the great sax player. Uh, and I read uh, Salim Muakil's a tribute to him on his Facebook page. Salim is freaking brilliant. Urge everybody to check out his tribute to uh, Pharaoh Sanders. So I just felt compelled to go back and listen to Karma, which I haven't heard in years, Mick. And I put it on and I just sat back on the couch and uh, just let the sounds take over. And Mick, it is, it's, what can I say? It's a great experience all over again. Listening to that album, I think it's from 69, I want to say, from the late 60s, maybe early 70s, can't remember which. But it's, it was like rediscovering something that I hadn't heard in so long, and I appreciate it so much more, so ahead of his time. I know you must be a fan of that uh, album as well. I am. I love it. I That's another one I have on vinyl. Um, there's one song per side. Uh, and uh, actually, I'm trying to think. One song may be so long that it finishes on the second side, and then there's a shorter song. But yes, the bottom line is, right. it's an yeah, it's it's an incredible album that pulls you in. It sort of builds, but it's like it's like a spiritual journey. You listen to that, you're on a spiritual journey, and uh, it's just beautiful music. Um, so many different kinds of sounds that he works into this to this uh album that is it both it's like searching for something and it takes you on this on this trip but also it just fully integrated it like sounds like its own thing and so it's got obviously jazz it's got blues it's got gospel in it it's got uh classical indian music um he made this right after he had been working with alice coltrane uh and uh would Actually, I think it was even it was after and before he continued to work with Alice Coltrane because her one of my probably my favorite jazz album of all time is Journey and Satcha Dananda. And I may be saying that wrong, but that came out a couple of years later. And he he plays uh, on that album as well. But Karma's right up there. It's it's just an incredible experience. So I'm I'm with you on that one. It's um, and did you play it on speakers or did you play it on headphones or both? No, I should have played it on headphones. This is a whole other side tangent that Mick and I could dedicate a whole show. Uh, we're we're going to refute the great Aaron Cohen. Sorry, Aaron, another frequent guest in the show. You come on his show. What happens? You get refuted down the road. <laughs> You'll be dumping on me tomorrow. I know. So yeah, go for uh, it. But uh, 
uh, Aaron was on the show. He's been on the show twice in the last month talking about Ramsey Lewis and other things. Uh, and he was saying that he does not like to listen to uh, music on headphones. He wants the sound to travel across time and space or across space anyway. Uh, and um, so God bless him. He's got his own uh, view. Uh, but as I told you, like, yes, I like to listen to music with headphones, especially Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Unbelievable on headphones. Urge everybody to try that once. Trouble Man's pretty damn good on headphones uh, as well. But I've never, I don't know if I've ever listened to Karma on headphones. Uh, there's, is there something really partic- particularly beneficial about that, Mick? Well, I'm of the camp that... Um you got to listen to them both ways, whatever it works for you and whatever you're the mood for. But I mean, headphones is a more intimate experience. Obviously you can really hear layers of sound when you're have your headphones on. So I have listened to it that way. Actually, I think that's how I first heard it uh, before I, I got it on vinyl and, and then listened to it that way. But you know, there's something about jazz uh, playing over the speakers. It feels like, especially records that were recorded pre digital era because uh oftentimes you feel like you're in the room with the guys playing and uh that's the case with karma it's just sort of like a whole room full of sound that you're a part of so i would highly encourage i mean let's do it on a headphones great experience but yeah i i and that one i i want to like put it on the turntable or put it on your speakers if you're streaming it and, and play it out loud and, and I'll make uh, this one little uh, cautionary uh, piece of advice for people who would listen or hearing Mick and me and then go and put on karma. Uh, and then there, there's a part of karma, uh, which is challenging. Uh, there's no way around. I mean, it's just a cacophony of noise. There's a, yeah. a man a yodeling and uh, it, it's <laughs> it's like a storm. It's like it's it's kind of uh grating it's kind of ominous it's a very yeah, he plays soprano sax and sometimes it squeaks a little bit that's part of his yeah. sound it doesn't it's it's not like um it's not a hard listen but you have to kind of open your ears a little bit especially like the first time through i would say right yeah but then after that this is the point it's like a, a beautiful lovely melody yeah. it's it the way he does that it the storm passes and it's peace in the meadow. <laughs> uh, and it's just, you just got to take some time. In my humble opinion, take some time, chill out, you know, sit down, maybe put a headphones on or not. I don't know. Maybe do it. Listen to it each way. Yeah. Listen each way. Uh, on the Pharaoh Sanders beat real quick, you should check out his very last album that came out last. I mean, the who knows, maybe his others that will be released posthumously, but made an incredible album last year uh with uh london symphony orchestra and a musician who goes as floating points and um it's sort of the opposite to the sheets of sound that you would hear in some of parts of karma this is a very quiet album mm-hmm. um there's a lot of space between the notes but it's just gorgeous so uh you or anybody else out there if you have not checked out um the album uh, that for some reason I can't remember the name of uh, that he made last year. Um, please, it's really really good too. So I will I will definitely uh, check it out and we'll close with this. Do you have an LP, uh, the Earth Wind and Fire album, All in All from roughly 1977? I want to say that's been talked about. I have All in All. I have. Okay. Uh, 
I have a collection of their hits and then I have Head to the Sky, uh, which is one of their early ones. And I just, I love that album. I tend to like early Earth, Wind and Fire when they're very jazzy. I like, I appreciate when they sort of became pop songwriters too but i like the stuff that's kind of out there a little bit so. i hear you but i i love pop i love pop and I, all in all is a great album and that's another one i just kind of rediscovered mick hadn't listened to it in years so uh urge everybody to check it out all right I'm, we're going to close this one down mick and i we could talk politics all day we could talk music all day and he's lucky i'm not going to bring up the subject of northwestern building a whole new stadium we could probably talk about that Mick <laughs> the building a stadium but it only going to have thirty five thousand seats i don't Actually, know I think it's a good idea, but we'll save that for another oh my God, time. We're gonna, yeah. uh oh, uh oh, I see a point counterpoint coming. Uh, we'll say that for another time. Uh, our beloved Northwestern Wildcats are about to turn things around this weekend. You watch, Mick. No That's more right. losing. <laughs> big, big upset in, in uh, Happy Valley. So, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah, right. They're playing Penn State. How could I forget? All right, Mick, thank you very much. ProPublica reporter Mick Dumke. Check out D-U-M-K-E. Check out his stuff. Uh, he really knows Chicago politics well. Thanks for coming on the show, Mick. Thanks, Ben. I also want to thank producer Chris and for Dr. D, who is on paternity leave. So as I always say, Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and much more at chicagoreader.com or wherever you download your podcasts.